Hi, and welcome to another recording of the Encouraging Word podcast. My name is Stephen Young, and I am the youth director here at Rocky Ridge United Methodist Church, and I am with Paul Bennett, the assistant pastor um, here at Rocky River. And uh, we've been doing this podcast for quite a while now, and uh, I've enjoyed it and been learning a lot. And we've actually having. Um, I don't know if we're digging deep for ideas, but we've covered a lot of ground. So um, it's been kind of fun kind of coming up with new ideas um, to talk about. Uh, But we're starting a new series here, and we're looking at the minor prophet Habakkuk. Um, It's probably a book that um, (laughs) many have not read all the way through, or maybe if you have read it all the way through, it's not a very long book, only three chapters. Um, But it's one of those books that um, typically don't get preached about or spoken about or quoted. Um, I mean, a lot of the minor prophets are kind of like that because they can be um, difficult to understand. So um, we're excited about breaking this down and uh, talking about it. Um, I know we did an intro video before this, so now we're going to be looking directly at the book. Um, We're going to do chapters one and two and then do chapter three in our next recording. So... Yeah, we're looking forward to it. So first thing first, we do a fit segment. So Paul is going to talk about something funny, interesting, or thought-provoking. And if it does not make any of those categories, he gets slimed. So Slime. uh, <laughs> we're going back to Nickelodeon days. All right. Yeah. So uh, don't get slimed. So let's hear your fit. <laughs> I like to be the one doling out the slime, not the victim. Um well, I don't know which of those categories this fits into, so hopefully you can uh, figure that out for me. <laughs> but, yeah. No, I, I just thought it was um, a good opportunity to give a shout-out to our Upward Basketball program and all of the wonderful volunteers that, that make it possible. We are uh, now two weeks in and uh, six to go, and we have, I think, as, as many... Uh, players and cheerleaders uh, as we've ever had here at uh, Rocky River on on Saturdays uh, throughout the day uh, people just pouring in and out of the building um, and, and honestly the uh, I can't explain this but it certainly feels like the the crowds are bigger than ever before too we're, we're packing uh, family members and and friends of all of these uh, players and cheerleaders in and and there's just a, a great environment for <clears throat> all the games people are getting excited and just lots of energy in the building here on saturday so i wanted to say thank you to all of the volunteers who who make up or uh, possible uh, our league director and and uh, her family put so much time into uh, upward and and so we're so grateful for them and all their hours and hours of, of service and, and incredible leadership um, as well as all the the volunteers that uh, do week in and week out the concession stand and and the announcing and refereeing and halftime devotionals and uh, of course also the uh, the coaches who uh, so many of them just uh, you know a mom or a dad who uh, they, they want their kid to be a part of the program and they they step up and say hey, I don't know a whole lot about basketball but I'm willing to give it a shot and they they come out every Saturday they do their best and the kids are learning and growing and having a lot of fun so uh, thank you to all who make Upward possible. I just also know that we, we can always use more volunteers. Uh, we have a lot of people just doing double duty and and uh, trying to, um, you know, some people that, that spend pretty much the whole day here, even though 
Uh, there's Spen at the end of the day. We have some that uh, are trying to to uh, do two things at once and, and certainly could use some more help. So if you're uh, listening in and, and you have uh, no skills whatsoever, you're, you're perfect. You're the perfect uh, person to come out and help because uh, anything you need to know, we can teach you. And, and most of the, the roles are, are pretty much self-explanatory. So uh, reach out and happy to, to help you get plugged in. But uh, always an exciting uh, program just uh, thinking about all the churches out there that, that would give anything to have um, a, a building full of uh, kids and young families an opportunity to minister to them we're, we're tremendously blessed uh, by this congregation and their commitment to the ministry so wanted to say thank you to everyone uh, for that very fact that was good that was very touching so thank you does um, that count as touching is it funny interesting maybe the t today stands for touching, touching yes. yes um yeah i guess it could be thought-provoking or touching you know or or the f can be feeling feely feely really? touchy feely <laughs> touchy feely there yeah, you go man we are yeah Man, we're getting ready. We're getting ready for uh, Valentine's Day here. So yes, <laughs> yes, us husbands have to have right. to get in the mode right. well in advance. Exactly. To, to do things right. You know. <laughs> um, for mine, it was kind of an easy one because um, it's my team, Kansas City Chiefs. You own them. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> I would. <have>, no, um, <laughs> no, but the team I root for is uh, going to the Super Bowl. So the third time in four years. I know this is. Uh, would uh, <laughs> makes me think about the Browns and just I man, it's, it's rough for them. Um, actually, the Browns almost beat us two. I think it was two years ago. Um, maybe I shouldn't bring up that memory. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's every, now it's like <laughs> when you have a team that's competitive. It's like every year when the Super Bowl comes up and you're like playing the schedule. You're like, you know, my team might be in the Super Bowl. Like, there's a legitimate chance my team might be there. It's a good feeling. Oh uh, it? yeah, it's a good feeling every yeah. time you. You feel competitive. And I know it's a window of time because um, I think of the Patriots and they went to many Super Bowls a lot. And but, you know, that error is over, you know, so it's um, just enjoying it while it lasts because it always comes to an end eventually. Uh, but, yeah, it's exciting to see their take on the Philadelphia Eagles, which is also so I know Cincinnati is Ohio team, but Philadelphia is also relatively close ish to hear so um <laughs> i'm sure it's gonna be more trying yeah i'm sure gonna be more philadelphia fans and kansas city fans out here but um yeah it's fun to fun to watch and i'm also i was telling paul before we started recording i'm a nervous wreck um i so nervous i can't watch the game which i think i think it makes me a great fan because i'm like i just can't i just i'm just a ball of emotion so i can't watch it i'm like pacing the house like doing random chores and then i'll check my phone and then i put it down and i'm kind of superstitious in the way of like if i watch the game i feel like they lose if i don't watch the game they win so maybe in the super bowl I'll just, i don't i typically do watch the super because the one that they won i did watch the majority of that game but the majority um the it's, one they lost to the yeah well the it's one they lost to the bucks i went on a i drove like an hour away or something no, I drove to my brother, my brother-in-law's house, and then drove back. And I don't know if I watched the game out because they were it wasn't a good game. They were losing pretty bad. Mm. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I 
I don't doubt your your passion and commitment <laughs> for the team, but I think if we were to sit, you know, Patrick Mahomes down, the quarterback of the Chiefs, and and say, well, what do you think about this fan of yours out in Ohio who who says he's so you know worked up about the game, he he chooses not to watch it? <laughs> I think he might have other he thoughts. He'd be like, what watch. are you talking about? You know, if you're really a fan, uh, you're gonna at least watch the game. Yeah. So it's, it's just so it's hard to. Every time when these big games come up, either they win or lose, I always question why do I follow sports because my whole emotion and my mindset gets so wrapped up in it. It's like I, I need to have my identity in Christ. Is what. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you're doing that's when you're what, not watching the game. Thought, yes. You're drowning your identity in Christ. Yes. This, yeah. <laughs> this is changing from whatever it was to funny in the, the whole scheme of a fit segment. Yeah, I'm trying to change this into like a, you know, I'm thinking devotional time here. That's what, when I'm, when I'm thinking of football. Um, I digress, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the game. It's in two weeks, and it uh, should be fun. So back to what we're all here to talk about, the book of Habakkuk. So what we're gonna, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read through chapter 1, we'll discuss it, and then Paul will read through chapter 2, and then we'll discuss chapter 2. Um, Habakkuk chapter 1 and chapter 2 are kind of like sometimes you run into those chapters in the Bible where it's like one verse or half a verse is like part of the next chapter and you're like well this 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 verse should have been a part of the previous chapter not this chapter so Habakkuk's kind of like chapter 1 and chapter 2 um they bleed together so just keep that in mind um, so I'll read through chapter one and then we'll, we'll have a discussion and we, uh, just a few words of yeah, context. I'm yeah. trying to think before we just dive right in. I wonder if it would help, uh, just kind of set the historical context a bit. So you got, um, Habakkuk is, as we've established, one of the minor prophets, uh, as we spent a lot of time last, last episode talking about, it doesn't mean it's not significant. It doesn't mean he's not a significant player in Israel's history or his message is less significant. Just happened to be that his uh, recorded message is shorter than um, the major prophets, uh, which is why they're dub major and, and his is one of the minor. Uh, his time in, in history was um, right around the end of... Uh, how does BC work? Is it sixth century, six twelve BC yeah. uh, to about five eighty eight uh, BCE? So um, he was uh, the prophet of the southern kingdom, Judah, because at the time the, the northern kingdom had already kind of bit the dust; uh, they had already been conquered, and and um, the southern kingdom was about to follow suit because most of the kings of the southern kingdom uh was known as judah at the time were, were pretty evil guys who had turned their back on god and and were just uh, selfishly um leading the people into sin and 
and um, all sorts of debauchery and ugliness. <clears throat> so it was not a good time to be a, a prophet of the Lord. Uh, I guess I suppose it was a good time in that he was very much needed and his message was essential for the people at the time. But uh, he had a lot of, lot of work uh, to do, a lot of opposition. And the threat in the world at the time was the, uh, the Babylonians. Uh, prior to the Babylonians, it had been the Assyrians, but the Babylonians came along and ended up uh, uh, taking over uh, that role, uh, had uh, squashed the Assyrians, and, and um, they had uh, become a threat to the people of Judah. <clears throat> and um, Habakkuk is, is speaking to that reality and to the people in the midst of that reality that they feel like God had made all these promises to them and and had uh, followed through on on you know all of them at least uh, to to their um, understanding to a point but uh, now that they were being threatened by this outside force and the northern kingdom had already fallen uh, the southern kingdom was starting to second guess you know whether God was really there for them how could God allow this to happen when was God gonna step up and, and shut down this threat even though they were all uh, completely unfaithful to God had turned their backs on him, they still expected God to uh, come and rescue them. And that's the context of uh, this this book and Habakkuk's um, message. And, and what you'll see in these uh, first two chapters is Habakkuk taking those complaints and, and frustrations to God in a dialogue uh, in which he kind of levels those complaints up uh, to, to God and, and God responds and we get to, to be um, front row seats to, to this uh, conversation and learn a lot about uh, both Habakkuk's character and God's as well. So uh, chapter one, you want to take it away? Yeah, <clears throat> chapter one. Um, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Um, this is an NIV translation. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Oh, this, so that's the Lord answer. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I'm raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impromptus people who sweep across the whole world to seize dwellings, not their own. They are, fear, they are feared and dreaded. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a lawless, they are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come in, in they all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at the fortified cities. By building earthen, earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose strength is, is their God. Um, Lord, 
Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why do, Why then do you tolerate this treacherous... This. Um, why are you silent while the wicked swallow up um, those major those more righteous than themselves you have made people like the fish in the sea like the sea creatures that have no ruler the wicked foe pulls all of them with hooks he cap he catches them in his net he gathers them up in his dragnet and so rejoices and is glad therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet for by his nets he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food is he keeping is he to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy um so yeah there's a lot going on there there's a lot of um imagery and metaphor and a lot of um um a lot of things so that we ho hopefully we can clear up some of these things I think it begins with two major questions um, that Habakkuk presents before God. The first is, why does God often seem indifferent in the face of evil? So he's saying this about the Jewish people. Um, as Paul mentioned before, um, the Jewish people are falling into idol, idolatry, and they're beginning to worship false gods. And um, Habakkuk, his complaint is about Israel and their condition. Why does God often seem indifferent about the evil that's happening in Israel? And then he also asks, um, and why do evil people go unpunished? Um, so this is um, the questions that it's almost like has like a Job type feel where just like Job is questioning God, why, why are these things happening to me? Why am I losing everything? Habakkuk is, is very similar saying, um, why are these things happening um in israel like um, why is all this evil so prevalent and why does it just seem to go unpunished and to be honest too this is i think there's other places throughout scripture where people ask this question i think there's a couple of psalms where david may also ask these questions um why why do the evil seem to prosper um and the righteous don't you know and it just seems unfair it seems like it's this is not the way it's meant to be um of course, God has his response um, to answer that, but um, I want to kind of leave it there for a second because I think it's it's kind of a question not just biblical figures have, but I think it's also a question that um, we have as well. We can look in our world today, and there's many evils going on in our world today, and we, and we wonder, why is God not stepping in? Why is God allowing these things to happen? Why Why is God not putting an end to these atrocities and um, so I, I think it does make you ask those questions. Yeah, and it's all of all of this. It is absolutely a just just human nature to ask those questions over and over and over because we are immersed in the struggles and the frustrations, and, and we are uh, feeling the pain of of these injustices uh, in our, in our minds. We all are convinced that, that we are the the masters of, of justice we see everything clearly right and wrong and and um, good and evil and and in our minds we have these 
faulty premises that that God should also see all of this. And, and because, and this sounds like a, um, a C.S. Lewis uh, argument too, and, and kind of, or at least uh, something he addressed in, um, was it Mere Christianity? I can't remember. But <laughs> this idea that, that uh, God, <laughs> God um, is all good and all-knowing and all-powerful. So in our minds, we look at the circumstances that are happening in the world and and we cannot um explain we cannot understand why uh bad things are allowed to happen why people who make bad decisions and uh you know treat people cruelly and uh and injure hurt harm others are are allowed to uh do what they're doing and why doesn't god do something about it and because we are uh, living in the midst of that that context, and we see it from that um, participants, you know, viewpoint, we can't help but uh, get frustrated with the supposed injustice of it all. Um, but you know, God is God, and we are not. And at the end of the day, um, really, that's every time this argument comes up uh, to God in scripture that is a bottom line really what his response is that was his response in, in job that's his response here uh that's his response in in the psalms when david is uh, basically conversing back and forth with god in his own little prayer journal uh every time you know horrible things are happening to him and he's asking where god is and why aren't you helping me and and then he responds himself with uh, god speaking through his heart you know oh don't worry i, I got everything covered but uh you got to trust me. You got to trust that in my time and and in the way that it needs to happen, uh, justice will prevail. And that's really what uh, Habakkuk receives in response from God. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But I think it's so important to, to establish that Habakkuk's uh, frustrations here are are identical to that of uh, those of of humans throughout history, multiple places in Scripture that. Um, we see things that that don't feel right don't look right don't sit well with us uh you know bad quote unquote bad people doing bad things and we can't help uh, but want to play god we can't help but want to look at it and say well we know what's right we know uh who's in the right who's in the wrong here who should be punished who should be rewarded and um and then if what we expect to happen uh doesn't happen then it's God's fault. God is missing something. God is wrong. God doesn't see it clearly. You know, God, God is being lazy. God doesn't care anymore. And um, for us to allow any of these things to escape our lips or even pop into our brains is um, is just uh, just backwards and and uh, foolishness because you know God is God and and we are not. And if we truly have faith in that, if we truly believe that then any complaint that any human being ever offers uh, in, in the face of God um, is ill-founded because, you know, we have to believe quite plainly that, that God knows best and we do not. Um, but it's easy to say that it's a lot harder to live within that reality, especially when you're, you're the one that's suffering in the face of evil. Um, but, you know, I think it's so important, at least in our heads, to understand this notion that, that we are not God and you know when we go to god and complain about injustices it's kind of like the the child who you know says to their parent oh you know mommy daddy i don't want to get a shot you know i don't want to get this uh you know vaccine or whatever it is i don't 
I don't want to take this medicine um, because it hurts or, you know, or it feels weird or it's not comfortable. And the parent looks at them and says, well, you, you'll understand one day, but, you know, you have to you have to go through this in order to get better. Um, that's really what God you know, looks down and sees and, and tries to help us understand every time we come to him in our little tiny window of, of perspective of what's going on in our lives and say, God, I don't want to go through this or God, it's not fair. Or, God, it's not right that this person should get away with this. God sees the big picture outside of time and he understands what we do not. So um, ultimately, this is kind of what is going on. This is the... Um, this is really the the plot <laughs> that we're dealing with here uh, so looking more closely at the text um, I'm looking at so verses 6 through 11 you know um, God through Habakkuk uh, offers this big explanation of uh, who the Babylonians are and I don't know what you thought Steve I thought it was interesting it's like almost like God was bragging on the Babylonians, you know. He was going on and on about how how fierce they are and how powerful and, and how they, um, you know, how their horses are swifter than leopards and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cal- your cavalry gallops headlong. Horsemen come from afar. Um, you know, these are just some of the, the, uh, the imagery that God uses here to uplift the babylonians and i'm just you know thinking out loud some of the things i was thinking as i was reading this text is wow god is has an awful lot of good things to say about them but he's speaking about their military might not about uh their their righteousness or their character as a people Um, but i I had to think you know what is habakkuk sitting here thinking already and this is really foreshadowing for what's going to come next but it's almost like habakkuk is like god's child who's uh, got to sit there and hear God brag about you know his brother or his sister like like uh, yeah. <clears throat> he'll never measure up you know in God's eyes, um, but uh, I don't know it made me wonder Habakkuk what he was thinking in that moment and how do we feel about this notion that God has, has so many good things to say about the the Babylonians, um, <clears throat> what what is he trying to accomplish in his conversation with Habakkuk? Is he trying to set up this notion where Habakkuk starts to get jealous or starts to get angry about it? I guess we'll have to read on to see. Um, but then, and in, in we get the verse 12 through 17, um, Habakkuk is kind of reacting to everything he's heard so far, and he's he's just shocked that God would... Because really what God is saying is he's going to use the Babylonians to punish the Israelites, uh, the the Judeans, for their sins. And Habakkuk is shocked that God would would interact whatsoever with the uh, Babylonians, much less use them kind of as a tool to to, uh, come down hard on his own children. And it's hard not to empathize with uh, Habakkuk here. Um, Because, you know, can you imagine, even for a second, you know you don't know the the full story but the the thought of you know god using your enemy uh to come and teach you a lesson like i can't think of anything worse that i would resent more than god coming along and saying oh you know the the steelers are gonna get knocked out in the afc championship game and guess what it's gonna be the browns who do it (laughs) if you don't know i'm a steelers fan but that's my closest parallel um Without you know, without trying to get personal, but uh, can you imagine how Habakkuk feels? Um, 
in that moment when God is saying, "Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you guys in your place, and I'm gonna do it using your worst enemy, these these people who have uh, tortured you and and belittled you time and time again." And uh, just fascinating to me that God would take this approach. But all of it, every time we read, you know, Scripture as a whole, but especially things in the Old Testament, I think we have to look for not just the the surface level, you know, what is God accomplishing in that moment, but what deeper message is God communicating to us um, today that we can apply to our own lives. And um, I think we need to understand that, you know, God, as I've said um, probably too many times already, God knows best. We do not. And uh, we need to humble ourselves and understand that God can use whoever he so chooses to get through to us. The, the, the ultimate goal is for him to get through to us, uh, that we need to respect him, respect his authority, respect his uh, wisdom and humble ourselves and know that, that we're not the king of the, the mountain here um, and that we need to just trust him and we need to turn back to him and if it takes you know putting us in a position where he's almost provoking us to anger uh, because we see the way he's going about it we get angry I, I kind of think for a second of uh, Jonah I don't know if, uh, if you follow at all where I'm going but how Jonah at the end of the book is angry that God didn't uh, destroy the city of Nineveh and you know gets upset at God because he's not showing justice uh, to the Ninevites and he resents God for it it feels like a similar kind of sentiment here that uh, Habakkuk must be feeling that God is willing to not just not destroy the Babylonians but use them to accomplish uh, something he's setting out to do I don't know, is, is fascinating to me. But we have to look for the deeper message uh, within. So I had, I had a lot of unpacking to do there. Sorry for yeah. droning on. But <laughs> any additional thoughts? No, there? I think it makes me think when you look at Scripture, you see a lot of instances where um, you see a lot of instances where God uses evil um, for his good purposes. So almost evident of that is the cross where God uses the evil mm -hmm. Pilate and the Jews to accomplish salvation um, you see that with Joseph and his brothers they put him into slavery and then he uses that <laughs> for him to be the second um, in command in Egypt um, you see it um, also like when Paul says in the church I think it's first or second Corinthians I think it's first Corinthians where it's he says give give the person over to Satan to sift them in a way to like help hopefully bring them back into the church. Um, so you see it throughout scripture where God, where evil thinks they've won quote unquote, but then God uses it for his divine purposes. And it's just, it's very interesting. I think it's one, it shows that this God is in complete control. Um, it also shows that no one, um, is outside of um, God's divine willpower or divine mm -hmm. purpose, you know, like whether you're, I know a saying I like to say is that God can make straight lines out of crooked sticks. So somehow God uses these horrible instances, but you know, on the surface, so it doesn't, I don't think because God does that, it doesn't erase the questions that Habakkuk is raising. It doesn't, 
it doesn't cease the question like why is god doing this i think of other evil empires of like the nazis like why would god allow the nazis to just kill so many jews you know like um a lot of times when we think about times when jesus would come back again you would think world war ii would be the perfect time for jesus to come back um but he didn't you know it's just that those are those are major questions like why why would that be allowed um but that's why i think what Habakkuk is answering or what he's bringing up in these questions are applicable today um when we ask god why we can ask god why in the big picture but we also can ask god why in our in our own personal lives you know mm-hmm. i think of also too when paul had the throne the thorn in his flesh like why did God use that? It wasn't necessarily evil, but God used that um, as a way to teach Paul grace and weakness and sufficiency with God, you know. So sometimes we just don't have answers to that. Mm-hmm. And as you as you talk, I, you know, I'm thinking one of the biggest hang-ups for me, and I think um, you know, humanity as a whole probably shares this in common with me, is is I read a story like this and I... I think my first instinct, especially if I'm in Habakkuk's place, is I'm thinking, you know, God, what about, what, when are you going to um, deal with the, the Babylonians? And I'm, you know, or if I'm listening to the, the story of Jesus on the cross, I was like, you know, God, when are you going to, you know, isn't Pilate your child too? When are you going to set him straight? <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, Joseph and the story of uh, the, you know, his uh, sold into slavery in Egypt and, and um, serving under Pharaoh. And when are you going to set, you know, Egypt straight and Pharaoh straight and uh, Potiphar's wife straight, you know, and that story. And, and I'm always looking for God. When are you going to, um, and, and even, you know, in, in just an intellectual sense, not even an emotional sense, like, you know, isn't, aren't all of these people your children, God? Like, aren't you... Uh, aren't you caring about their plight and the fact that they are way off course? And and I think, you know, especially as we read the Old Testament, that's one of the, the most important lessons we need to understand so we don't get distracted by those questions is, um, is that, you know, just because you see a another people group that is part of the story and, and God doesn't necessarily interact with them the way you would expect doesn't mean that God doesn't love them doesn't mean that god doesn't have a plan for them um and and in our own lives today you know just because we see somebody who's off course or um you know is not seeing god or isn't understanding or thinking clearly doesn't mean that god isn't working with them as well we may not see it we may not understand it but i think the takeaway is you know whatever the situation whatever the other people we want to get all consumed about um, and get worked up about whether God sees or cares or is trying to help them. The, what God really needs is for us to, to look at ourselves and look inside ourselves and, and humble ourselves. And I think really uh, the, the most important thing Habakkuk can do in this moment is start to take responsibility, I think is what God needs to see. Habakkuk, on behalf of, of Judah, and himself take responsibility for how lost uh, the Israelites are instead of just sitting around complaining about the Babylonians. And this is so human nature, right? We 
we want to deflect everything and, and talk about everybody else's faults and how uh, they're the, one, the reasons that we're in the situation we're in. All God wants to know is that we, we between him and us and our relationship with him and our, our pursuit of righteousness our, ourselves, is that we see where we've messed up um, and start to work our way back. And I think that's one of the most important lessons Habakkuk needs to learn here and across history and throughout Scripture uh, that we need to take to heart as well. So just one of my big takeaways, I guess, from chapter 1. Anything else on 1 before we flip the script and go to 2? No, I think we I think we did a good job covering a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right, so chapter 2. Uh, we, we finish with um, just where we picking up here. So Habakkuk is uh, offering up his second complaint here in the, the end of chapter 1. And um, <clears throat> he uses this analogy of uh, Babylon like this evil fisherman who's trying to consume every fish in the sea. And he's, he's complaining about them to God again and, and saying, God, how can you possibly use this? horrible uh people group to to punish us so he offers his complaint he finishes in verse 17 and then uh picking up at verse 1 of of chapter 2 he says i will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts i will look to see what he will say to me and what answer i am to give to this complaint so uh habakkuk has offered his accusation so to speak to god i can kind of picture uh, this is a theme throughout scripture as well like a courtroom drama type uh setup habakkuk has uh, put his complaint his uh, accusation out there now he's going to sit back and let god offer his defense uh, so this actually picks up in verse 2 of chapter 2 it says then the lord replied write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it for the revelation awaits an appointed time it speaks of the end and will not prove false though it linger wait for it it will certainly come and will not delay see he is puffed up his desires are not upright but the righteous will live by his faith Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, for the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out, and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. 
Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol, since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silence before him. All right, so... um, so this is primarily God's response to Habakkuk. Uh, we started once again with the first couple of verses of chapter 2, in which Habakkuk, I think, very stubbornly and proudly uh, finishes up his argument and then stands there and basically stares God down and says, All right, I'm, you know, I, I put you to the test. I'm going to stand here and wait for your response, almost like uh, taunting him. Or uh, calling out God, a little trash talk between Habakkuk and God. And, and Habakkuk sits there and, and, and waits for God to uh, offer whatever petty excuse that he can come up with to explain um, all the, the lousy, silly things that he's doing. Um, and of course, by the end, Habakkuk is, is put right. But uh, for now, as we enter into chapter 2, he's, he's pretty arrogant and um, thinks that he's bested God in this argument. Or at least that's that's how I read it. It seems like there's a lot of aggressiveness and a lot of uh, arrogance in Habakkuk's uh, statement here as we enter the chapter. Um, but uh, perhaps that's just me reading that into it. But that's certainly how I, I don't know, that's the tone uh, of it as I read it. So what what does God offer in his response? Um, first, in, in verse 3, God is urging Habakkuk to be patient as he awaits the justice that he longs to see. <clears throat> it's, um, it's interesting to me how impatient we as humans can be when we're waiting waiting around for sin to be punished for the people that um, have wronged us to, to be set right. And um, it's interesting, and this comes out in, in the chapter here, as we think about this notion of humans sitting around waiting for God to punish people, one one thing that's interesting is um, we always think about ourselves. Like this person has wronged us. We forget the fact that when they've sinned against us, they've also sinned even more so against God. So if, if we're going to be upset because this person has done this to us, we need to keep in mind that God is just as hurt by it, just as offended, if not more so. Uh, because he's been dealt the greater blow. He is he is their God too. And uh, he loves them and, and they have betrayed and uh, hurt him with what they've done to us. Just as they have uh, done it to us. So we have no right to be angry in comparison to, to God's right to be angry uh, for what they've done. And also, you know, what God is constantly wanting us to see. If we're in such a hurry for, for sin to be punished, um, we, we can't act surprised then when... Uh, if we're really looking for justice, when our sins are punished right along with those people uh, that we want to see punished, because um, you know we are uh, 
as as the Apostle Paul said, our, our attitude needs to be that of all the sinners out there, we are the greatest. We are the greatest of sinners. And if we're going to look for other people to be punished, we better be ready to own our own sins and, and receive the consequences for them as well. So verse 4 uh, and, and Stephen pointed this out before him and I hopped on here. This is the this is the go-to verse. This is the the key to the whole thing. Uh, God is is responding to uh, Habakkuk, and he's referring here to Babylon. He says, "See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will live by his faith, or faithfulness." Uh, so this is really the summary of the entire passage, that God is calling us to have faith and that our righteousness comes forth from our, our willingness to show faith in all situations. So if you want to get upset at God, uh, if you want to make assumptions about God and his inability to enact justice, if you want to get angry at the people that God is using to enact justice, or if you want to get angry at other people in general, um, all of those things are, are very honest. God would rather have you speak those and own those feelings and those thoughts if that's where you're at. But the goal is get you to the place where um, you, you have faith and trust in God enough uh, to know that whatever justice is meant to look like, he's uh, reliable to dole it out. You don't have to be the one to, uh, to enact it. You don't have to be the one to sit around and complain because God hasn't done it the way you think it should be done. Um, that this is, you know, righteousness comes through faith just by trusting that God is God and that we are not. And then finally, as we move on from verse 4 here through the entire rest of the chapter, um, finally, in Habakkuk's mind, God starts to, to um, turn his attention to the Babylonians and he starts to kind of tear them to pieces and he rebukes them time and time again for their sinful actions. He promises that they will receive punishment in due time. And he exposes them uh, for who they really are. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I got to stop and think here um, what God's purposes are for speaking this to Habakkuk. I think he sensed that Habakkuk needed uh, a, a reason for confidence that God did see the Babylonians, uh, the, the evil of the Babylonians, that he did intend to set them right, uh, to enact justice against them. And um, God was calling out Babylon for their sins. And remember, he's speaking to Habakkuk. Uh, the Babylonians probably never get this message. God doesn't send an email to Babylon and say, oh, by the way, this is what I think of you. No, this is just Habakkuk that is receiving this directly from God. So for his benefit, God is rebuking uh, Babylon because he knew that Habakkuk needed to hear it, but not before uh, God had set um, Habakkuk and Judah straight for their own sins and their own lack of, of faithfulness. And then finally, the last thing I'll point out, these last few verses in, in verse 18 through 20, God changes his focus and he starts, um, he starts ridiculing this idea of idolatry and people creating idols out of stone and out of wood, kind of making a mockery of it, uh, which I always love when God makes a mockery of people who um, do things that I'm convinced that I don't do. But I know in my life I have my own idols, even if I'm not making them out of stone and wood. Like some people are chief fans and they, you know, they put them <laughs> up on a pedestal, right? <laughs> it's just... Just razzing you. Um, but uh, God turns his focus to um, really, I, I'm 
not uh, hesitant to say this, to, to really puffing himself up and praising himself. And it's easy for us to look at that and say, well, you know, what, what is God? He's all proud. He's acting all uh, holier than thou. He's acting all self-righteous. Well, guess what? God is holier than thou. God is uh, the epitome of righteousness. And uh, sometimes in order for us to see all of those qualities in God, how perfect and holy and righteous he is, um, we need to be reminded of it. And that doesn't mean that God isn't also humble and loving and gentle and kind. And we see that in the character of Christ uh, as he comes to earth and embodies God in human form. We also see that throughout uh, scripture and, and God himself and in his interactions with people. But sometimes we as humans just need reminded of how awesome God is. And, and that's how uh, he closes out the chapter here by saying how ridiculous it is that people are making uh, gods out of um, stone and wood idols. And in all of this, in all the, the, the drama that's gone down, verse 20, oh, by the way, uh, God says, the Lord is still sitting in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. So nobody truly has a right to speak when God is reigning and doling out justice in his time uh, because he is God and, and we are not. And, um, you know, I don't see that as God being haughty as if that was even a thing. Like, can God be too proud? Can God be arrogant? No, because God is perfect. And, um, you you know, you call a spade a spade. So that's, that's who God is. And uh, I, when God points that out to me, I want to respond by standing up and clapping for him, not by uh, not by getting all insecure and, and thinking that God is um, trying to uh, puff himself up. He doesn't need to do that. He's just uh, he's just telling me who he is. And I need that reminder sometimes. So what do you got for us? Uh, chapter two, Stephen Wallace. Yeah, I think. Um, well.
There are two things I want to look at in this um, chapter. Um, one, I want to look at the verses that stood out, and then also kind of like looking down or looking at how the chapter is broken up into. So there are, when you look at chapter two, there are five woes, I guess you could say. Um, so there's like, woe to him, woe to him. Um, it says, woe to him. So you can see like, God is laying out the punishment for the Babylonians. And as Paul was saying, now the Babylonians aren't going to get away with their atrocities, that they're going to be punished. And God is, we do live in a world where there is justice. And I like to tell the students that all the time when I'm teaching them, like, you want to live in a world with justice. You don't want to live in a world if there was no God and there is no justice. And, and I think justice brings meaning and purpose. Um, as much as we don't like to face justice in our own punishments, we do need to live in a just world. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I think of America and how um, in, entrenched we are with our justice system and our court system. And it's one of the things that makes actually America a strong nation is our justice system. Um, because you look at countries that don't have justice systems and it's very bad and very dangerous. Um, so you see how God is serving up justice against the Babylonians. But what's also important too, as Paul would say, is uh, that you have to also look at yourself and Israel itself. Was, as Habakkuk was complaining at the beginning of chapter 1 about all the atrocities in Israel. So it's like both nations are, are, uh, have atrocities to God. You know, um, One is following a false, uh, they're both following false gods, honestly. Israel and Babylon to many different false gods but the outcome is the same that the people are distant from God and so God is bringing punishment really on both um, so this thing is interesting how that chapter breaks down with these five woes of punishment that God is going to put on the Babylonians um, but the two verses also two verses that stood out to me is um, verse 14 and I, I should have cross-referenced it but because um, I, I believe it said somewhere else in the Old Testament. Um, verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And this, I love this verse because it's, it's a, really a verse that's speaking about um, what is to await in the future. When, when the earth is filled with the knowledge of God, no longer are the Babylonians or Israelites tempted or drawn away from and obeying false gods and false knowledge but now they're going to be worshiping there's going to be an earth where the where true worshipers will exist and that will worship the lord the earth will be full of the knowledge of god um no longer will there be idols and false gods um so it's an exciting verse about the future that he um that is written here and then verse 20 um, verse 20 says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And it's just <laughs> that, that verse right there is kind of a, uh, I guess you could say like a dry, drop the mic verse or a verse that's kind of like a complete conclusion where it's like, God's in his holy temple. The earth needs to be silent before him. He is the creator. It's one of those kind of signifying verses about God's who God is and his role and his purpose and who we are. It's almost like uh, when Job confronts God and then when, once God speaks, it's just like, it's overwhelming. And, and God's like, where were you and this, where were you and here? And God's really stating his, his position, his authority, his, him being the creator, right? And we, the creatures. And as we seek to understand God, there's many things that, you know, we just, the earth needs to be silent 
um, before God's holy temple because God does know what he's doing. He is in control and we do need to trust him. And that's also what um, the verse about um, being faithful before God, the righteous people will live by his faithfulness. And that faithfulness sometimes comes as being silent before the Lord in his holy temple and trusting that the Lord knows what is best um, for for the earth, for his people. And the Lord knows um, his purposes and his plans that he's fulfilling. So, yeah, so those chapters one and two. Um, And uh, I don't know if Paul has anything he wants to clo close up here with as we end this these first two chapters. No, I think uh, you covered it very well. I think um, we're getting a real sense of where this is going. Um, and I, I love that, you know, just like in, in Hollywood stories today, we get to see characters develop and, and uh, transform by... Um, dialogue and and uh, just experience and such and i think we're seeing that in habakkuk and who better to initiate that transformation that the uh, character development than god and his interactions with them so uh, i'm enjoying the the ride and we'll see what chapter three brings all right well thank you everyone for listening and then we'll yep we'll start on chapter three and uh, looking forward to it thanks <laughs>